coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Thursday to you. So Cop City has garnered a lot of headlines recent days, recent weeks, recent months. Hundred billion, I'm sorry, hundred million dollar price tag somewhere in that area could be a little more, could be a little less. Well, actually, a lot more or a lot less. Obviously, RICO indictments dropping earlier this week. There's also talk of the need for a new Fulton County Jail. We touched on that a little bit yesterday. A 1.622 billion dollar price tag affixed to that. Fulton County Sheriff's Department also wants to build its own quote-unquote cop city, its own police training facility to the tune of 17 to $20 million. Yesterday, we had Alex Joseph on, a former state federal prosecutor, also working uh, as a volunteer in the cop city vote movement. She mentioned the fact that Dunwoody wants to build their own police training facility, also that Henry County is clamoring to do the same thing. Lots of money going about, and yet the story that led yesterday on WAGA-TV Fox 5 was this. A Fox 5 team investigation discovered thousands of dollars in campaign money paid to companies created by the wife of Fulton County Sheriff Pat Labatt. Two of those companies were not listed as required in the sheriff's personal financial disclosure statements. Fox 5 team reporter Randy Travis is here with more on what he found, Randy. Well, Christine, here's the law. Elected officials must disclose any business owned by their spouse. An even bigger deal, when the sheriff's wife's companies have so far collected more than $80,000 from her husband's campaign. Wow. I want you to listen to how murky this sounds. Again, this is the Fulton County Sheriff who wants $1.6 to $2 billion of taxpayer money. And doing the math, that is about $1,877 per citizen. Uh, according to campaign reports, reports Fox 5 Atlanta, uh, Labatt's campaign hired Argus Property Management Group in 2019. Why would they hire a property management group? That company paid $47,836 for, quote, campaign consulting, transition team consulting, security, and transition team staffing. Again, a property management company. Those companies are used by landlords and apartment building owners to maintain properties and secure rent and handle expenses. Why would his campaign go to a property management company with $47,000 for campaign consulting, transition team consulting, security, and transition team staffing? Just asking these questions out loud. Uh, back to the story. According to Georgia Corporation Records, Jacqueline Labatt created Argus in 2017, two years before his campaign used it. It was dissolved earlier this year. Personal financial statements include a page for the elected official to disclose all companies owned by a spouse, and Argus was not listed. Story goes on. Neither was Atlas Golf Tournaments and Events, a company the sheriff's wife created in April of 2022. Two months later, the sheriff's campaign began paying Atlas what would be a total of $15,600 for, quote, consulting and administrative operations for his annual golf tournament at White Columns Country Club. It's unclear, according to the article, whether Atlas was paid to help with the 2023 tournament. Those reports are not due yet. Labatt is now running for a second term in 2024. 
He did disclose his wife's ownership of Alliance Business Management Consultants. His campaign began paying his wife's company $1,275 per month starting last summer, bump up to $2,500 a month this year for campaign consulting work for a total of $20,150. The total amount of campaign money paid to the three companies owned by the sheriff's wife so far, $83,586. Back to the Randy Travis story at Fox 5 Atlanta. The sheriff declined our request for an on-camera interview, but released a written statement about those campaign payments to his wife. We are reviewing our filings to assess whether any amendments are needed, but it's no secret that she worked for the campaign and was compensated at a rate much less than the market rate for similar services. Jackie operates with the highest level of integrity and professionalism. My record speaks for itself. And my focus will remain on doing the job I was elected to do. I have a friend that I worked with while in high school at the newspaper in Augusta. She and I went on to the University of Georgia around the same time. We even worked together at a public supermarket. She went through the political science realm. She handles that sort of compliance for campaigns. And I'm going to remind you that some of the things that this now defunct company of hers. What was it called? Argus Property Management Group. That doesn't exist anymore. They were paid $47,836 for campaign consulting, transition team consulting, security and transition team staffing. <sighs> and then for the uh, for the golf tournament, uh, consulting and administrative operations. That's paperwork. That's filing. That's making sure that the correct documents are filed so that you are running an event or a campaign above board to the tune of $83,000. That's nearly $14,000 a year just to make sure that everything is on the up and up. You are the sheriff of Fulton County. You are upholding law and order, and you're not maintaining law and order in your campaign filing, sir. Now, look, I don't mean to pile on. I fully understand he is the sheriff that oversees a Fulton County jail that has about three times the population it was designed to handle. We are long overdue for a new facility, no doubt about it. However, sir, how do we trust you to run a department that's asking for $2 billion? What did we say that was? $1,800 per person per resident of Fulton County, to cough up for this new facility when we can't trust that you are running above-board campaigns and not throwing some money that's not yours, campaign donor money, back to your wife. Bear in mind, by the way, he makes about $189,000 a year in the position he's in. I'm not begrudging his wife making an income. I just think it's kind of oogie that she can account for $83,000 of income derived from his running for and then being sheriff. And I'm going to be consistent here. I'm going to say the same about Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump Kushner. I'm going to say the same about Hunter Biden, who we learned, I guess, last night that at some point in time, perhaps today, maybe even after I record this segment and it starts to air, is going to be indicted? I say that about any of them. That shouldn't happen. Oh, 
But Jared and Ivanka and Donald, they didn't take a salary while they were in office. Yeah, right, they shouldn't have. They made at least, at least $640 million while Donald was in office. That's just Jared and Ivanka's take. Uh, no, you don't deserve a salary for that, right? You know, it's funny, I was actually having this back and forth this morning via text message with a conservative uh, about Hunter Biden and the indictment and the smoking gun. Again, I'm... Anyone who's listened to my show long enough knows that I am begging. Listen, if Joe Biden is corrupt and has been corrupted, then please provide the evidence. Stop telling me there's a play and not putting actors on the stage with a set. Please, a set. We hear word of this text message now where Hunter is talking to his kid saying... I hope you all can do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. Um, okay, okay, Hunter. It's really hard, the text says, but don't worry, unlike Pop, we assume that that is Joe, I won't make you give me half your salary. Now, no context whatsoever for that text. We have absolutely no idea in what context or what state of mind or under what sort of uh, mental state, given the substances he liked to take from time to time. No idea, context-wise, what that conversation is about. But they're focusing in on the, don't worry, unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary. To imply, to infer that any money Hunter made with foreign dealings, he had to slide back to Pop, Joe. And that somehow the president who has said from day one doesn't know much about Hunter's business dealings isn't telling the truth. I am saying it. If there's something not good about this, my God, get it out. Let's find out now. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, maybe we should stonewall and wait till after the election because this is election interference. See, that's the sort of complaint that Democrats could make, right? Because that's exactly the sort of complaint Republicans and Trump campaign and his many pundits across the media spectrum, that's what they're saying. But don't we just want to find out if our guy is corrupt? Seriously, on the left, let's agree to that. And by and large, there's not nearly the obstruction you see coming from the White House to prevent investigation from happening. Hunter Biden is going to be indicted probably today, maybe even before this airs, while his father is president. That would have never happened under a Trump presidency. It didn't happen. Executive privilege was used about as much as McConnell used the filibuster when Obama was president to keep investigations from getting anywhere. The right likes to point to, well, the Mueller investigation failed to show Russian collusion. No, it was actually just kind of kept at bay a lot by executive privilege. Inconclusive, not open and shut. So yeah, I'm going to be tough on Sheriff Labatt, a Democrat. I'm going to be tough on the Hunter Biden story because I think we have to be as tough on those as we are on the Trump, Jared, Ivanka saga because the American people are kind of sick of struggling through the daily rigors of life with our climate now coming for us, 
with take-home pay, just kind of middling, hardly able to, in, in some cases, not able to keep pace with the cost of living, our societal inabilities to deal with crime and education and healthcare, but we got politicians and or their family members pulling in money on the side while they tell us they've got answers. All right, enough of that. Uh, back after the show, by the way, I'm going to be talking with a pleasant lady living in Greensboro, Georgia, and she is essentially the curator of the Green County African American Museum and part of a group called the Original 33. At original33.com, her name is Mamie Hillman, and we're going to talk about the original 33 black legislators who were elected to serve in the Georgia General Assembly after the Civil War, who were summarily kicked out of office by a white majority then. A lot of those names, not well known, but they're going to pay homage to them this weekend. Can't wait to have that conversation. Again, back half of the show in minutes on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday. Uh, new CNN SSRS polling came out uh, that showed some interesting head-to-head scenarios. Steve Kornacki tweeting this on Twitter. I thought I'd share. Uh, overall head-to-head matchups, uh, Trump at 47, Biden 46, DeSantis 47, Biden 47. Nikki Haley with a six-point outside-the-margin-of-error lead on a potential matchup with Joe Biden, 49-33. Pence, 46-44 over Biden. Uh, Tim Scott, 46-44 over Biden. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, dead even, basically, 46-45 with Biden in the lead there. Chris Christie with a 44-42 margin of victory over Joe Biden. The other thing I thought was pretty interesting to point out, and and I'll dive more into this stuff either tomorrow or Monday. Uh, I want to get to another story. Uh, The Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents who are registered to vote questioned, who do you think the Democratic Party should nominate as the party's candidate for president in 2024? 33% Joe Biden. 67% a different candidate. That is a high-water mark going back to July of last year, when it was 25% Joe Biden, 75% a different candidate. That has marginally improved. I mean, the last time they did this poll was March 1st through 31st, when Joe Biden had 44 to 54%, but he's never, he's not, he's not been above 45% at any point in time. That question's been asked. I also thought it was pretty noteworthy to point out that it looks like amongst Republican-leaning and Republican voters, Donald Trump doesn't have the commanding lead, at least on a national pollscape, that folks presume. 37% give Donald Trump the nod. Number two, Nikki Haley at 14%, Ron DeSantis at 11%. Just interesting stuff. Thought I'd share that with you. I'll include these notes from the CNN SSRS poll in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. I actually want to focus on a story that has just kind of been like gnawing at me a little bit since I saw over the weekend uh, just a gut-wrenching fatality. A young man working a valet in Buckhead, Atlanta, immediately shot and killed when he approached someone and literally just said, Hey, what are you doing? Someone who was apparently looking to break into a vehicle. And 
David Aro's story in today's Atlanta Journal-Constitution really encapsulated the emotions that kind of hit you in the gut. His mother, his name is Autumn Ernst, and there she was in a small room uh, behind a sliding door at Grady Memorial Hospital. Couldn't even hold on to him because of an ongoing police investigation, so instead she was there at his side, by his bed, and all she could do was kiss him, Harrison Olvey, age 25, a recent graduate of Kennesaw State University, on the forehead before he passed away. The way the story went, it was uh, around 2 a.m. when he was working as a valet uh, outside a Buckhead establishment when he noticed a man breaking into the truck of someone he knew outside a Longhorn Steakhouse in the Uptown Atlanta development, previously known as Lindbergh City Center. The valet gig, according to the story, which handled parking services for the nearby Tongue and Groove nightclub, was only temporary, according to his mother. He had bigger dreams. In fact, he had just accepted a job with State Farm. His mother said that her son went up to the stranger and was shot without warning after he asked the man what he was doing. Atlanta police confirmed Tuesday that arrest warrants were issued in the case. Marta police have since taken over the investigation and declined to release the suspect's name. As I said before, I, I th- this story's been sticking with me ever since. I, I don't really know why. It just has sat on my heart since it broke over the weekend. Maybe it's the fact that he had just graduated last December from Kennesaw State, and he had a promising career to come with State Farm. But my thinking is, we have got to deal with a culture of crime in our country. You're going to think I sound conservative when I say that, but we do have a criminal culture in this country. Obviously, we have white-collar criminal culture. We have mob culture. We have low-level criminal culture. We need to continue as a society to strive towards there being ample opportunity for all and a meaningful vocation awaiting every child, no matter their zip code or socioeconomic status. We need a tighter grip on who has and maintains access to firearms. We need access to health care that provides a route to addiction recovery that starves the drug trade of its client base. We stay so divided over things we actually generally actually agree on as a society and stay at each other's throats about those things. We're busy knocking each other off as those flying high above us, fiscally, figuratively, literally, Will they stay away from the perils of a societal decline? They're concocting because they profit from it. Y'all, this is not a black, white, suburban, urban, Atlanta, Buckhead, left, right scenario anymore. It's always been us, we the people, versus them. And we, the people, are losing because the old axiom, divide and conquer, is both simple to understand and fairly easy for the powerful to employ against us. My heart really aches for this mom, and all moms and dads and siblings and grandparents and anyone who grieves the premature death of loved ones lost to senseless violence. The right will tell you that the answer to this is to hyper-militarize our law enforcement. We're already the most imprisoned country on the planet. Atlanta, the most surveilled city. Cameras just about on every corner. That's not the problem. What starves crime is opportunity. Crime exists where opportunity doesn't. Well, the low-level stuff, not the organized high-dollar crimes that those folks who commit them get away with and slaps on the wrist and hide behind corporations and high-paid lawyers to muddy up the system. 
I know I talked a little bit about this yesterday. We are investing so much into police and police training facilities and prisons and our military, and we're not investing in ourselves. We're withdrawing from public education. We're worried about student loan debt forgiveness versus why can't we just make sure that every student that qualifies to go to college gets to go to college without sweating a lifetime of debt to pay it off? We can't make healthcare a human right. We can't agree on what a living wage is. And we expect crime to just go away by putting more cops on the streets and having them train far away in South DeKalb County and having a better prison. The status quo isn't working, y'all. And I cannot be the only person who sees that. All right, back after this with Mamie Hillman from the Greene County African-American Museum and one of the curators of the original 33 being honored this weekend, one of the original 33 black legislators elected after the Civil War into the state of Georgia's General Assembly and then summarily kicked out by a white majority. We will talk with her next on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Archived audio, blogs, social media links, and more, all in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So yesterday I spoke of a tweet that I read and just dived into and was actually a little angry that I felt cheated by my public school education growing up in Columbia County, outside Augusta, Georgia, Georgia history classes for a couple, three years here and there from middle school through high school, and I didn't ever know about the original 33. Uh, Professor uh, Anthony Michael Kreese, you may see him on cable television quite often. He uh, winds up on MSNBC and CNN, oftentimes talking legal matters, and we've had a few of those in the state of Georgia. Tweeted about the history of the original 33. It was 155 years ago this week that the Georgia General Assembly began the process of expelling all of its black members from the Georgia House of Representatives and then the following week from the Georgia Senate. Well, this just led me on this rabbit hole chase where I'm reading all about these legislators who were elected to office not long after the Civil War and then found themselves getting expelled. We saw a snippet of this in Tennessee just this past year. Right. 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 Well, joining me to talk about this is a young lady that I'm excited to have on the show. Her name is Mamie Hillman. Mamie is with the, uh, it's the Greene County African American Museum in Greensboro, Georgia, right? Right. All right. And you are one of the driving forces behind the celebration of the original 33. So first of all, thank you for that. And thank you for joining the Ron Show today. Okay. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. So can I just tell you, when I read this tweet yesterday, again, I just kind of dived down the rabbit hole and started doing research and went to look to find if any of the original 33 were from my home county. And lo and behold, Romulus Moore served in the legislature representing Columbia County, although the footprint of Columbia County that he served for was actually or is actually now McDuffie County. But still, that's it's a little little tied to my upbringing. I'm, I'm a little ex- I was a little that's excited true. about that, but I was also a little disheartened because to my knowledge, I can't think of anything in Deering, Georgia or Thompson or Columbia County, anything street or otherwise that bears his name. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And, and that's the, and that's the sad part of it all is that those beloved men were human beings that only wanted an opportunity to serve their community and its people. 
and other plans had been made for them because others thought they were not significant, that they didn't have the ability to to serve as former enslaved people. Mm-hmm. And all throughout the lives of those 33 men, you can learn about their suffering, their struggle, their strain, their threatening, their, their you know, being shot and just so dehumanizing things that happened to these men and their families. Mm-hmm. And I didn't learn that in civic class. Right. Our educators had no idea. And these men deserve acknowledgement, honor, and celebration because they were the first. Yeah. They took the blows. They took the threats. They took the beatings. And their lives have been muted. I know we got the Capitol on the Capitol grounds. You have the little statue, but that not that is not enough. Mm-hmm. Those men did not get a do over. They did not get an apology. And, and the majority of them tried to get out of Georgia as quick as they could because of the, the violence and the threats against them. And we, our representative was Representative Abram Colby, mm-hmm. who was enslaved in Penfield. His mother was a 16-year-old slave girl. John Colby Plantation owner was his dad. Had five children by this enslaved girl, even though he was married and had a daughter. Mm. But the thing is, Abram desired to serve. So he became Greene County, Georgia representative. Mm -hmm. And we have been so blessed and fortunate to track down some of his descendants and they'll be there Saturday. Oh, wow. That's exciting. And, and the thing is you very, very few things you find on those men Mm -hmm. because what they did was not again deemed as significant and their, their footprint you really have to dig to find it because they were not they were not accepted as, you know, people who were going to make a difference. But they did make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan County, uh, Monday, Monday Floyd, mm-hmm. very few things you can find on him. You know, you've got the all the representatives from those 33 counties. You have the senators, you know. It's hard to find their footprint. I'm sitting here looking at this this list of the original 33, and I'm like, even in Richmond County, I grew up outside Augusta, Georgia. Thomas Beard. I don't know that Thomas Beard has his name emblazoned on anything in Augusta, Richmond County. I mean, there's a John C. Calhoun Expressway that's been, you know, a, a rather contentious, uh, you know, named expressway that uh, the city there has bantied about maybe taking the name of John C. Calhoun off of. But right. I, I mean, I can't think of anything that Thomas Beard name is on. And wh- why not put his name on that expressway if you're Absolutely. going to change it? Absolutely. And one thing that we as as human beings, we need to realize that we make history every day, good, bad, ugly or indifferent. Yes. And we need to consider the choices that we make in the lives of other people. And the, like I said, these men families were not the same. A lot of them was brought up on trumped up charges, mm-hmm. uh, put on the chain gang, like Tunis Campbell. You, you, you just don't do those things. And, and if we would only learn from what has happened in the past, we would not be making the mistakes that we are making today when we are in these positions. 
that brings me to my next question to to you. And by the way, we're with Mamie Hillman with the Greene County African American Museum, uh, part of the original 33 board as well. Big celebration coming up this weekend honoring the original 33 African American legislators elected to serve in the Georgia legislature. There's been this push to sort of rid our curriculum of stories like the original 33 african-american curriculum period or under the guise of wokeism or critical race theory mm-hmm. but again i don't remember even learning about the original 33 no. in my history classes to begin with and i i think you and i were probably maybe around the same i'm 49 we, we may be around the same age or or, or no, give, give or take. Fortunately, we are not. And I'm, I'm marvelous. Seventy years oh old. Oh my so gosh! Oh my gosh! Well, but 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 my point is, we both grew up using textbooks that were written absolutely written absolutely by by folks uh, young or older than us who were kind of leaving things out, whether right. on purpose or just glossing it over. Uh, right. Right. So how disheartening is it to see this push to even take more of what we're not already getting out of our textbooks? It saddens me because one thing young people need to know, they need to know the truth of their historical narrative. And all our historical narratives are extremely important. Mm -hmm. They are like a, a patchwork quilt. We define one another in the totality of any community is its entire community, regardless what ethnicity you may be, mm-hmm. your story needs to be told. And they should leave that alone. Matter of fact, they need to broaden it and be more honest and upfront. You know, I, I agree a thousand percent. And again, I, I obviously we, we come from different backgrounds. Uh, there are still questions that I have about uh, my grandmother's life in Germany before uh, immigrating to the United States. Wow. You know, the, yeah, the, these are open-ended, and, you know, she's passed yeah. on now, as most of her family has, and so there's just a lot that I'm not going to know answers to. But I, 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 first of all, I'm fascinated by history, but I think there's so much to learn from history at the it same time. from history, absolutely. So absolutely. I want you to uh, expound on what will be taking place. Uh, I know we have events Friday and Saturday uh, in Greensboro to honor the original 33. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, Friday... Around 5.30, we will have a candlelight visual downtown Greensboro mm-hmm. to honor the original 33. And it's being held downtown because Representative Abram Colby was running for re-election. Mm-hmm. So a plot had, had been organized. If he had re-won his seat mm-hmm. as he come Through downtown Greensboro, he was to be assassinated. Now, that's in the history book of Greene County, Georgia. So that's why the candlelight visual is down there. Saturday at 4 o'clock, we will be at the Family Life Center, downtown Greensboro, and we will have a tribute dinner. We have Representative Gilliard from Savannah, who will be our speaker, we have different people coming in from different states, New York, Maine, like I say, Abram, Kobe descendants are coming in and just have um, a conversation mm-hmm. and a celebration regarding these men that we may understand that what they did, how they served was important. And we need to continuously evoke their name because they cannot be forgotten. 
and again, again, this this to me is just one of those scenarios where you know history kind of sort of repeats itself, and we we yes. we we talk about the story of the original thirty three elected yeah. to serve in the Georgia legislature, right. and and then uh, kicked out by right. a white supermajority at the time, right. right. We we saw this sort of play out in Tennessee last year. Did you did you? Sure did. I was gonna say, were you sure able to watch those headlines and go, well, "Here we are all over again"? That's it. That's it. And see, if if we don't ever come forth and keep pushing forward, instead of you know acting and engaging in those behaviors that brought us to this point, right? Nothing will change. Not in America. Nowhere. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to stand on the square of truth and be about being authentic in the choices that you make in and on the behalf of others. We see this playing out in Alabama. They're trying to, you know, maintain congressional lines that, you know, disenfranchise voters of color there. We're, That's true. We have a That's court true. case going on right now in Georgia over the very Absolutely. same thing. It's just, Absolutely. again, history just tends to repeat itself and not learning from it. That's it. Puts That's us it. on that pathway. I think you'd agree. That's it. That's it. So I want you to tell me uh, in just a few minutes here, what, uh, what else I could learn if I stopped in Greensboro one day and said, I want to check out the uh, Greene County African-American <laughs> Museum. You you will come by and you will really be honored to be there mm-hmm. because it's such a special place. One of the galleries in, is in honor of our representative, Abram Colby. Okay. And we are honoring those that came before us in the community. It is all about the narrative of Blacks in Greene County from the beginning to where we are now. Mm-hmm. So you need to stop in when you can. And oh, no, no, yes, ma'am, <laughs> you get no argument from me on that. Uh, is it my understanding that there's even uh, a, a library there? There is. There is. There is a library in Greensboro. See, I've done my homework. I know you've put a lot of uh, blood and sweat and tears into uh, creating this environment and this place for uh, folks of all generations to come and, and and learn about uh, a part of our nation's history that is often overlooked. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we are all about. Because as we've already said, we didn't have anything. We didn't have any resource like that. We didn't have any, any knowledge of those that came before us that were making significant contributions. So here we are trying to do our part. Tell me how you were able to even have a museum of this kind in Greensboro, Georgia. Listen, I grew up in Harlem. We used to play Green Tolliver. They used to, the, 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 the two counties had the same high school. So I know a little bit about Greensboro and I know the limited means of, of rural Georgia. How did, how, how does this museum even exist? This museum exists mainly because it was a historical home of Greene County's second black physician from 1921 to 1945. The city was going to take it down. We came in and mounted an effort to save it, to restore it. And I had this idea of why not a museum, you know, because usually when you live in a small town, you have to go out of town for things of diversity, like music, like, like festivals. Right. So I thought it would be a great fit for the community, and I thought the community would honor, love, and and actively engage with us. That didn't happen, but an effort was started, whereas we had supporters that started a fundraiser 
for us. Go fund me. And that made all the difference in the world. Even though we we are not funded by any tourism dollars, which I think we should be, because most of our most of our tourists come from out of town and mm-hmm. out of state. Mm-hmm. But when you live in small towns, a lot of pockets of money you're not you don't have access to. Mm-hmm. So. It's just my husband and I and those that really support support the work and the truth of the historical narrative that we're telling. All right. Well, I'm going to stop by sometime soon. And if I see you, I'm going to throw a hug on you if your husband doesn't mind me okay, doing so. Okay. Do. Please do, Roy. All right. Mamie Hillman with okay. the Green County African American Museum, the original 33.com. And again, they've got events Friday night, uh, candlelight vigil at 530 and uh, dinner Saturday at four. We'll put some information at ronshowatl.com. Ms. Hillman, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you so much, Ron. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. Again, there's this mad rush to remove history from our textbooks when Miss Mamie and I were just talking. There's a lot of history we didn't actually get in our textbooks that we would have liked to have had. More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show, and I know from our previous segment we were talking about Buckhead and the unfortunate killing of a valet there. More news out of Buckhead. This one, not as dire or serious, but still sort of sad. Buckhead.com reporting that Sir Elton John has quietly left his Buckhead home after 32 years living there. And I, being a real estate agent, <laughs> maybe I'm a little nosy, but I did check out listings at Park Place, and I don't see any that would resemble his gaudy, ginormous, multi-unit home inside Park Place at 2660 Peachtree Road. Although I do see another one here. It's a three-bed, three-bath, I'm sorry, three-and-a-half bath, 4,000-plus square foot, and it is, oh, it's a, it's a Mark Adler's place, and it's currently listed for $36.99, $3,699,000, in case you thought I misspoke. By the way, have I mentioned I'm a real estate agent? And if you're looking to move into Atlanta, I would love to represent you if that is in, uh, you know, it doesn't matter your price point. I would love to represent you. If you're in that price point, I would love to represent you. Oh my gosh, I could close on that transaction and just take the year off. I wouldn't do that, obviously, because I also have another listing. If anybody's moving into Metro Atlanta or looking to buy a home in Metro Atlanta, I've got a gorgeous, oh, love this house. Uh, in Southeast Atlanta between Moreland and Boulevard. Would love to show it to you. In fact, we're going to do an open house Sunday, 1 to 4. It's Falcons game day, so it's a Falcons watch party. I will be wearing my Falcon jersey, and I'll be giving away some Falcon tickets too. That's right. That's a big Falcon deal, right? Giving away some tickets to see the Falcons uh, later in the season. So come on by. Uh, In fact, if you want, you can uh, check out that listing when you follow me uh, at Ron on the Reel at Ron on the Reel on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. I have that information there for you. Anyway, just just kind of a sad little passing of some cool Atlanta folklore there that Elton John has called Atlanta his home away from home for more than 32 years. Uh, According to Buckhead.com, according to multiple Park Place residents, the move-out took nearly a month to complete, and Sir Elton John has now left the building. Buckhead and Atlanta for good. As the story goes, it all started in 1991 when Elton's estate in England near Windsor became too full of memories and possessions. 
He gutted the residence and auctioned off many belongings, according to the article, while on his path to sobriety. In his search for a new home in the United States, he found Los Angeles to be overwhelming, New York unsafe, and he fell in love with the southern charm of Atlanta. All right, enough jokes about the overwhelming and unsafe, okay? Let's just stick to the story here. Jim Henderson, the developer of the Park Place Condo Tower, remembers getting a call from the on-site sales agent in 1991. Can you imagine being that agent? When he was on a sailing trip near Hilton Head. I have Elton John here wanting to buy a condo, she told him. The offer was $700,000, but Henderson was firm at his $950,000 asking price. Back in 1991. Can you imagine the appreciation since then? I eventually settled on $925,000 with his agent in London, and by the time we were at closing 30 days later, Elton had already decided to buy the unit next door. It was great PR for the building, and we sold out the rest of the tower over the next couple of years. He was at a turning point in his life at the time, and he ended up being great for the building. The other residents loved him, and he treated our staff very well. As the story goes on, he actually became ingrained in the community and surrounding Atlanta area. Frequent visitor of Tower Records, dined at area restaurants like Umi Sushi, and the now-shuttered Buckhead Diner. He became a Braves fan, hosted a collection of his photographs at the High Museum of Art, named his 2004 album Peachtree Road, the street that the condo is on, and became a frequent face at social functions throughout Buckhead and the Atlanta area. He's quoted in the article as saying that his living in Atlanta is, quote, as normal a life as I can lead anywhere in the world, an Atlanta person through and through. So now about the condo, we're talking 12,000 square feet of space across seven units combined in multiple floors. So you can imagine if Mark Adler's tiny little 4,200 square foot condo is selling for $3.7 million, multiply that by like two and a half, three, and that'll give you an idea what Elton's place will likely list for when it hits the market very soon. And again, I am a real estate agent. If you are looking to buy something along the lines of Elton John's former home, I am happy to assist you in showing and making an offer. And we'll make a competitive offer. Well, if you've got the money, we'll make a competitive offer. Just hit me up. His last show was in late September 2022 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium here in Atlanta when he said, you might see me walking around the streets in Atlanta because I'm not going anywhere. I've lived here for 30 years and I've loved every single minute, so I will take you with me in my heart, in my soul, and I'll never forget you. Since then, of course, we understand that there have been greater health complications for Sir Elton and he will be departing Buckhead and Atlanta, although, what a chapter, right? 32 years in our great city, and a fantastic condo that I'll be keeping an eye on. As soon as it hits the market, I'll be the first to let you know. And, of course, you'll be the first to let me know if you'd like to go take a look at it and present an offer. Okay, I'm even grossing myself out a little bit here. I call it commission breath, and I can't stand that. People can sniff commission breath like... Oh, you're just more interested in the commission than actually helping me buy or sell a home. Yeah, no, I I don't like being like that. In fact, I, I don't even bring up the fact that I'm a real estate agent all that often. I kind of do that here in jest, but it's still a reminder. <laughs> See, I'm going to stop. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to The Ron Show today. And I want to thank uh, Mamie Hillman from the Green County African American Museum. Again, their events Friday with the candlelight vigil around 5.30. I'll know it's not going to be dark at 5.30 Friday. Uh, and uh, their dinner 
event on Saturday at 4 o'clock. We'll have all that information at ronshowatl.com in today's show notes. Have yourselves a great evening. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. here on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, and then afterwards, wherever you podcast. We'll see you then.